Hi, this is Rabbi Rolofsky, and welcome to our special Hanukkah edition of the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. We have not lit the candles because I don't know which night of the week you're watching this. But feel free, there's the menorah, it's all set. At any night that you want, just feel free to take your own personal candle and bring it to the screen, and you can light all as many candles as you need. Baruch Hashem. So um, before we get down to business, I have to share, um, first of all, a tremendous hakarasatov to people who uh, write me in to give chizik. Give chizik, you know, because I don't have any real numbers on this. The last time we did numbers, we were in the thousands, but I don't know exactly how many it is now because people are are watching and listening in so many different sites. Somebody told me they download for somebody else and then give it to them, you know, so they don't have any, you know, access. And um, and uh, I just keep getting more and more. But I got a call this week that was so um, powerful and poignant. Uh, a fellow called me up and he says, you know, I, I really called you up as soon as I got up from Shiva, but you were in America. I lost a child. And what you spoke about on the podcast about us dealing with our own personal suffering is what got me the, the strength to be able to get through it. And I listened to it over and over again. So, you know, just keep doing this. And I'm sitting here in my living room. This is my own actual living room with my own svarim behind me. Um, well, as you can see, we got a bigger svarim poster. And, uh, you know, just, you know, you have no idea what you do. Now, this has been happening to me for years. There was a time when a guy told me he was in Lakewood Yeshiva, and they had bins filled of cassette tapes. If you're among the younger people, um, before there were downloads, there were CDs. Before there were CDs, there were actual cassette tapes. These were little boxes that had tape in it that would go around and record. Anyway, so he says, your box of cassette tapes was always empty. People were always taking them out and were always listening to them. And to me, it's amazing that, you know, you can sit and you today you can sit and you can talk and you can say something and it reaches so many different people and so many walks of life and you push it, don't know where it goes. Uh, the emesis, this is the table of Ra, right? Uh, this fellow, this, so, so the story goes, this fellow killed somebody, he went to the Rav, and he says, how do I do kapara? He says, fine, go into the forest, find the biggest rock you can find and carry it into, into the town square. And he works so hard to carry it in, and he brings it in. And he says to the Rav, what should I do now? He says, carry it back. And that was his kapara. So a person says, I'm a balash and hara, what can I do? He says, take a feather pillow and slit it open and let all the feathers out in the middle of the town. And he does. And he goes back to the rub and says, what should I do now? He says, gather up all of the feathers. He says, but I can't find them. They've blown all around. And he said, that's the problem with Lashonar. You don't know where it goes. You don't know where it goes. So, uh, you know, the truth, the Ulurah. Yeah, we spoke last week about the Koyach of Toiv. And if the Koyach of Dibor to do bad, how much more so is the koyach of Dibur to do good? And uh, the fact that I say anything that gives anybody any chizek and, and um, meaning and, you know, and you know, maybe a smile, you know what I mean? Maybe a laugh out loud. 
one of my daughters saw somebody walking down the street right here in my own neighborhood, carrying their phone, laughing. I said, what's that? And he showed him, I'm watching your father's podcast. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows where it goes and what it does? And Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about Hanukkah. And this past week, I spoke for the first time in Mali Adumim. This has been a truly amazing month. For the first time in my life, I spoke in Staten Island. And I spoke in Malay Adumim. Uh, I, I don't mean to compare the two. Obviously, one is Eretz Kadosh, and the other one is in the Shtachim. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, Eretz is Kadosh. It says, Esa Kedusha's Hain, the Mishnah in uh, Kalim. Esa Kedusha's Hain. The first one is Eretz Israel. Eretz is Kadosh. No place else is Kadosh. So they had this chus to speak in Malay Adumim. My old friend, Elan Adler, who uh, I had this chus of working with in, uh, in seminar, seminar, uh, YU Torah Leadership Seminar many years ago. A truly talented, um, uh, uh, funny, intelligent, um, and uh, he's probably watching, extremely good-looking uh, individual who I've had the schus of working with. What a schus to be able to go out to Malay Dumim. And I met so many people that I know who live in Malay Dumim, and we had a very large turnout. And I started by saying, as I often do these kind of circumstances, that it just confirms what I've always thought. There's nothing to do in Malay Dumim. But uh, somebody came up to me at the end, and I, you know, uh, we spoke last week about shikha. <laughs> how easy it comes to some people. And for me, it's very good. I forgot who, who told me this. If you're out there, you know, uh, and you want to send me an email, I'll be more than happy to uh, mention it. But he mentioned the fruit that in America is known as the persimmon. Yeah? Here in Israel, it's called an afarsimon. Now, the Gemara refers to shemen afarsimon. That's not this persimmon. It's something else. But this Modern-day persimmon is known as a farsimon. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of the words um, in modern Hebrew was because we had words that we didn't know what to do with them, and we had things we didn't have any names for, so we put them together. Yeah? So that's, uh, that's the way some words uh, got put together. Um, but, uh, you know, Yisrael Kedoshim Heim, nothing's for nothing. So the Jewish people tend to call this an Afar Simon. And he said, Afar Simon sounds strangely like Pirsume. Yeah? Lefar same, like Pirsume Nisa. Yeah? Publicizing the miracle, which is one of the things we need to do on Hanukkah. And he said to me that if you were to cut the persimmon open, and I will do that right now with my heat vision. Yeah? So then you take a look inside and you will see, I hope you can pick this up, a eight, uh, eight lines drawn in the middle of the persimmon. Persimmon Persume Nisa 8. Coincidence? I have no idea. But I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah? And I wanted to share that with you on this special Hanukkah edition. Now you can all go out and buy your traditional Hanukkah persimmons to be able to add to your holiday season. Yeah? And uh, for all I know, it will help to absorb some of that oil that you're eating. Someone said to me, you know, is a minute to eat oil on Hanukkah? I said, yes, there is. I said, how do you know 
The person asked me, when you have eaten enough? I said, when you wake up in the morning and you're sweating oil, then you know that you more or less reached that point. <laughs> so uh, here in Eretzel, last night was our first night of Hanukkah. Now that I think about it, probably every place else as well. And um, we... Um, um, we uh, made our first batch of latkes, and uh, they came out perfect, crispy, and golden, and so nice. Someone told me, B'Shem Moshe Feinstein, they said, why is the minig to make latkes to fry potatoes in oil? And he said, because that's all they had in Eastern Europe. Yeah, they fried it on Hanukkah, on um Pesach, they pretended it was karpas, a green vegetable, and the rest of the time they used it as furniture. That was it. All they had were potatoes. Yeah. In fact, a little interesting historical fact, one of the reasons for kidneys is because you can make it into a flour. That's where we don't have uh, corn. You make corn flour. You could have a pea flour, a bean flour. Yeah. Um, my daughter's on a very uh, you know, careful diet. Yeah. And, um, and uh, she, uh, she's amazing, all the different types of flowers that I found out one could make out of stuff. Well, of course, all of Pesach today is potato flour, and the magic of potato flour is unbelievable. Yeah? I was at a Gateways for Pesach, and they had um, lasagna and noodles and cheese and pizza, and all kinds of incredible things that you can make out of potato flour, the magic of potato flour. So, of course, there was a question, what to do with this? You can make it into flour. So the Chaya Adam uh, wanted to answer potatoes as kidneys. And I don't remember who it was who said to him, but said, then change the name of your safer from Chaya Adam to Chaya Kartoffel. Now, since there are people who are watching this who may not have the same mastery of Hebrew and Yiddish that I do, kimuvan, so igzagmir for you what I just said. <laughs> His book was called Chaya Adam, right? Adam is a person. He says, called Chaya um, Kartoffel, which is Yiddish for a potato. Because you're more concerned about uh, potatoes than people. And you find certain areas where all they eat are potatoes. Right, which could not have been covered by the original um, Takana of Kitneus because potatoes are native to North America. They brought it over when they discovered um, uh, when they discovered America. That's where we got the that's where we got the potato from, and the turkey. Yeah, interesting because you know people eat turkey. I'm not talking about anyone in particular or any particular time of year. But uh, there are people who eat turkey. Now, when it comes to a behema, you could check to see if it has split hoofs and it chews its cut. According to the Chayo Adam, since we just mentioned him, you also have to have a mesorah, a mesorah that a tradition that it's a kosher animal, even if you find those things. Not everyone agrees with him. But that was why they had the big Zabu uh, controversy here in Israel a few years back that they evidently were crossbreeding cows with Zabu, which is a different type of a cow, even though it has split hoofs and chews cut. For a fish, it needs fins and scales, yeah, to be able to be identified as a kosher fish. But a bird, you need a, a masora for. It has to be a tradition. Any, the, the Torah doesn't give any identifying features. It lists 
24 types of birds that are not kosher. And in order to be a kosher bird, you have to be not one of those 24 birds, which the Chazal say, the majority of birds are kosher. Of course, we can only eat those that we have a tradition for, like chicken and geese and duck. And those are the universal ones. Uh, there's also um, um, people who have Masara for pheasant, um, people who have Masara for pigeons, uh, some other birds, but, uh, but that, that's about it. Nobody could have possibly had a Masara for turkey because turkeys were native to North America. And they certainly didn't fly to Asia or, or Africa or Europe for the, for, well, let's leave out Europe for now, for Asia, Africa, for the Chacham to be able to see them. They weren't in the Middle East. They came across when they came back from, uh, from, Europe, from America. They came back from North America. They brought, they brought the turkeys with them. So those people who eat turkey today are relying on the following logic. Moshe Rabbeinu knew all of the Tomei birds, and he didn't know turkeys. So turkeys must be kosher. There are people to this day who do not eat turkey. Yeah? There are people to this day who do not eat avocado because they don't like it. But that has nothing to do with halacha. I just thought I would throw that in because I don't like avocado. And there's certain places I go and they put avocado on everything. California, for example. Nothing personal. I just don't like avocado. I don't, want to, I don't have to go into more detail. Anyway, um, look, at the, look at the magic of ADD. I have no idea why I'm talking about this anymore. <laughs> um, potatoes. That's it. We're talking about frying in oil. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting good at this. Yeah? Right. So we're talking about Hanukkah and oil. And again, the idea is all this comes down to be mefarsim, the nace of the um, fact that the pach shemen burnt for eight days in the Beis HaMikdash, yeah? And that's the idea of the Prasume Nisa, the eight days that we allow the, um, uh, we try to mafarsim the days. Now, traditionally, you go look at the Gemara, yeah? Traditionally, what did that mean? You lit a Chanukiah, yeah? Um, it was, short distance from the ground, wasn't too far from the ground. You could put it all up a little higher from the ground. But you put it pretty low down towards the entrance of your chotzer. And so you would see it when you, um, when you would uh, enter into your chotzer. And that was the extent of it. That was the extent of it. Gemara discusses if you have two entrances to your chotzer, if you put a menorah at each one of them, yeah. But that was it. At the entrance to your chotzer, you used to put it. Now, this, this doesn't happen much in America today because there are not many chotzeris that have Jews living there, yeah. People in te- instead tend to put it in a window, yeah. I guess you could put it by the entrance to your yard if it's walled in or something like that, but most people put it in their window, there was a lot of times in Jewish history where they didn't do that. They put it on the table, and they would light it on the table. When I was growing up, we used to light the menorah on the table, and uh, that was it. When you come to uh, Yerushalayim, I can't say over it, because so, I haven't really traveled around on Hanukkah, but I know when you come to Yerushalayim, uh, I, I live in uh, Heiliger Harnof, 
You, we used to walk down the street with the kids just seeing how many menorahs we could count. Most of them could not count that high. Every window, every Pesach, every place. Some people actually made a hole in their wall and a put a little glass box there in order to be able to put their menorah. Some people put it on top of the wall. Some people put it on a little chair next to the wall. Yeah, and uh, you just walk down the street and you see all of these menorahs burning, you know, oh. But those menorahs are the Pesumenisa. When you're in Chuzlaretz, you know, you see less of them. You see some of them in the windows. You see less of them. Yeah. Um, Old-time American Jews used to put in electric menorahs in the window. Yisrael Kedoshim heim, far be it for me to cast aspersions on them, but I know somebody who put in the window actual um, menorah with uh, candles that were alight, and uh, they did not move the curtains properly. And suffice it to say, yeah, it created an extremely warm atmosphere. Yeah, one could even argue that perhaps they created a tremendous amount of persumenisa. The fact that they got out of there alive was the nays. Yeah, so maybe that's why they decided to use the electric ones. You know, what I mean, uh, I don't know, but uh, but it was an interesting story. My father my brother was looking for a neighborhood to move to. He was not yet Shomer Shabbos. And uh, my father said, when I went around, what I used to do is I would drive around neighborhoods during this time of year, and I would look to find a neighborhood that didn't have too many seasonal lights. If they didn't have too much Xmas decorations up, then you figured it must have been a Jewish neighborhood. But this was around September, October, so um, so my brother said, well, uh, I don't want to wait till, you know, December time. He says, well, I guess you could drive around and look for sukkahs. <laughs> now, let me explain to you the flaw in this logic, yeah? <laughs> when you're looking for a place that does not put up Xmas lights, that could be any type of Jews. I mean, you know, most Jews certainly back then didn't put up holiday lights, things are changing, of course, and the one thing entropy teaches us is that things go from bad to worse to worser, yeah? So, uh, you know, uh, but for the most part, Jews don't put up holidays. But only the most dedicated Jews will put up a sukkah. My father, who was not Shomer Shabbos until he was 67 years old, used to build a sukkah. And he used to invite in, you know, they used to bring the Hebrew school down to see it. This was a major, in North America, I must tell you, there weren't that many sukkahs. So if we were using my father's methodology, he would have concluded that it was not a Jewish neighborhood. And in fact, it wasn't. <laughs> but that's totally irrelevant to my story. Yeah, so he drives around, interestingly enough, until he, one of the areas he was considering was Staten Island, and he's driving around Willowbrook, and he found a lot of um, a lot of sukkahs. So he figures, oh good, this is a Jewish neighborhood. What he did not know is that it was an Orthodox neighborhood. And since he went to work on Saturday, not like Big Gedalia Gumba, so that was a little embarrassing as he drove down his street, especially when the Hasidish Stiebel opened up on his block. <laughs> but it did contribute to his eventual um, Rededication to Torah and mitzvos. So uh, God works in mysterious ways, does He not? Yeah. In any event, um, 
It was funny. I just spoke at Staten Island, so I was in the shul. And as I was walking through the main part of my way down, I, uh, I passed a, um, uh, a fellow, and he says to me, oh, you're Rabbi Olavsky. He says, yeah, because I used to live in Staten Island next door to your brother. <laughs> so we've come full circle here in our introductory remarks. Because what I really want to speak about today is Pursume Nisa. Yeah, publicizing the nace. And it's interesting, because as I mentioned, historically, the way we would do this is by lighting our little candles, and they would light it for a half an hour. Light it for a half an hour, yeah. Somebody told uh, the Chavetz Chaim's grandson, yeah, who used to fill up shot glasses with olive oil and let them burn well through the night, if not into the morning, yeah. He says, I heard Edus on the Chavetz Chaim that he used uh, candles, yeah, wax candles. He let them burn for a half an hour and then he blew them out. And you're going on for hours and hours? He says, my grandfather also owned only one jacket. I have a lot of jackets. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to be stingy when it comes to my mitzvahs if I'm not going to be stingy with everything else. If I want to live in a small little one-house thing with a dirt floor, yeah. You know, he once said, he says, when we lived in Rodden, we all lived in one house. There was room for everybody. Everybody lived there, and uh, we had Archim, and everything was like that. He says, when we finally moved to Lakewood. You know, so we moved into a two-bedroom apartment. Then there was no room for me. I had to go sleep in yeshiva. <laughs> when there was one room, there was room for everybody. You know, so the Chavetz Chaim lived in a one-room house, and he had, uh, you know, one jacket. So he, uh, you know, but uh, but throughout Jewish history, people people had small menorahs, and the word Chanukiah had not been coined yet, and they uh, and they would light them. And uh, by, the, by the Pesach of their Chotzer, yeah. Nowhere in history did you find a tradition of putting up a 50-foot menorah and getting a crane to lift up a Goyesha politician to light it. This has never happened in history. <laughs> and I, I, I want to I, I make a suggestion, if I can, share an observation. Um, we, we live in Golis Edom. Now understand, we went through Golis, Bovel, uh, Paras, Modai in 70 years. Uh, Golis Yavan lasted a relatively short period of time. Golis Edom is pushing on to 2,000 years. Why? Because one of the purposes of Golis is to expose us to something to the point that we are disgusted by it. I am not suggesting this on any level, but there was a time when, when a parent caught a kid smoking, they would put him in a closet with a pack of cigarettes and say, smoke the whole thing. The idea being that you would be so exposed to it that you wouldn't want it anymore. One of the ways to treat phobias, if, for example, you have acrophobia, fear of acrobats, no, I'm just kidding, fear of heights, so they would have you slowly, a little bit more, look at this, look at that, until you could 
reach the point we could just stare down and confront, you know, that sense of terror that comes with the phobia to order to overcome it. Yeah. So um, um, uh, when we went into gullus, the purpose of the gullus was to expose us to the evils of these things in order to be able to get rid of it. What's gullus bavel? So uh, what's gullus edom? Edom is power. Adam is power and it's something else. It's externality. And people have an amazing ability to be external. Yeah. I saw a guy with a long black beard and a frock and a Hamburg and he was an Ama Oretz Diaraisa. He knew, he, he couldn't read Hebrew. But when he decided to reattach himself to the Jewish community, you know, that's what he decided to do. He saw that outfit, decided to put on that outfit. Yeah. If you judge a book by a cover, I forgot which God of Israel said it, but he used to say, you know which is the most chashiv place in all of Yushalayim? The dry cleaners. You can walk in there and see all the frocks all lined up. <laughs> you know? So externalities. The, the more people focus on an externality, yeah. And unfortunately, we've become that. How do things look to us? How do, we, how do they appear to us as opposed to what they really are? Yeah. So, uh, you know, bigger is better. It's true by everything. Whatever it is, it's bigger. It's bigger, it's nicer, it's, 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 uh, it's fancier. You know? We put, we put so much emphasis on the appearances of things as opposed to the essence of it. Persume Nisa at the end of the day, right, when we light our menorah in order to be Yodzei, is you can put it on your table for your family. Because at the end of the day, the Persume Nisa is in me. Yeah? It was an interesting thing. A few years ago, somebody called me up and said, What do you make such a big deal about Echad for? Okay, so God is one, the oneness of God. Okay. Okay, so he's one. You know, like, why do we keep driving this point home? And no matter how I explained it to him, he kept saying, I don't understand what I'm one, big deal one, you know. So uh, the Bali Musa used to say, Echad, Aleph, there's one God, Ches in the seven Rakias and this world, Dalid in the four directions of this world. And the, the Bali Musa used to say, a person can be Mekabel Hashem Echad, Everywhere in the world, in all the Rikiyas, except inside of me. That's the one place where it's still lacking. Yeah? Um, I used to teach in seminary, um, and uh, um, I, uh, I would have girls who made meetings, you know, in November. And, um, of course, everybody knows, you know, the, uh, the, the fact that they say, you know, I'm going to have my year in Israel. It starts sometime in September, and it ends towards the beginning of June. Now, you do your math, that's not a month. Now, take off a month over there for Pesach, <clears throat> take off midwinter vacation, take off a month over there for Shana's Yom Kippur and Sukkot, you know. By the time you're done, it's your sixth month in, uh, in Israel, you know. So I'd have a girl in November, you know, maybe she's had six classes, maybe less, you know. <laughs> she says to me, I came to Israel to grow, and I don't feel like I've grown yet. So I said, why? I'm still wearing this, I'm not wearing that, I'm listening to this, I'm not listening to that, yeah. 
I said, the Ica growth is inside of you. You know, the Ica work, I'm not, it's easy to change externalities, but the inside of who you are. Know it today and place it on your heart. Intellectual knowledge is not what we call true understanding. It has to go inside of you. It has to become part of your etzimetzias. It has to become part and parcel of who you are as a person. Pursume Nisa means that we, Hanukkah came at a particularly um, uh, uninspiring point in Jewish history. Now, don't get me wrong. A small band of Jews had won many victories, but you know, they had to, they had to do the avoda, you know, uh, carefully because the Antonio Fortress, which was next door to the, to the base of Mikdash on the Harabayas, they were, it was still held by Misyavnim. It was held by, you know, Greek-leaning Jews, and they used to shoot in at them as they were trying to do the avoda. As the battle continued, as the war went on, four of the five Maccabee brothers died. So, you know, it's nice to think of a victory in the sense of like, you know, everything ended happily ever after. It wasn't. The miracle of the nearest Hanukkah took place at that time. And sometimes the Prasume Nisa is dafka when we're looking at something and we don't see the big spectacle. We have to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. The miracle of Hanukkah is that we have to be mefarsim inside of us. We have to create for us an understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu ain't od milavadi. There's nothing in this world but HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And no matter what the odds, no matter what the difficulty, the Alt of Navadik used to say, I never asked whether or not I could do something, I asked whether something has to be done, and I knew HaKadosh Baruch Hu would give me the koyach to do it. Kal Yisrael needs good people to do important things, and you are, are that person. I was going to say, you're one of those people. You are that person. Avravina was one person. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was one person. The Chashmanoyim were a small group of people. They were not the majority. And they stood up to do that which is right. Well, that's it for this week for our special Hanukkah edition of the Rabbi Arlovsky Show. If you want to find out more about the show, you can go to rabbiolovsky.com slash podcast. You can leave comments on this episode, which is episode nine at rabbiolovsky.com slash podcast slash nine. If you want to find out about my upcoming event schedule, rabbiolovsky.com slash events. And if you want to contact me directly, look at how appropriate this is, rabbiolovsky.com slash contact. Yeah. And uh, Mirza Hashem. We should all have a lichtuch in Hanukkah.